Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. So I'm going to try and accomplish two things today. Wish me luck. It could be one of those things where we're here for four or five hours. But, you know, I have a sense of timing, so I'm I'm going to try to put these together in a way that makes sense. This month, going through this book, Happy for No Reason, and I do want to wind that up with a little bit of a summary. But coincidentally, the 2022 Happiness, the World Happiness Report is out. And since we're talking about happiness, I think we need to know how we fared during the pandemic and where we rank among the world's nations in terms of happiness. And so if it's all right with you, I think I'll start there. Well, the report itself is about 50 pages long. No worries. I've summarized some of the important parts in about a page and a half. So while world happiness mushroomed over the 10 years of the world happiness reports, picking up country by country as the questions were standardized and so on, the global average of national happiness has been relatively stable. So over the last 10 years, the overall happiness quotient of the planet has been relatively stable. The average stability masks a variety of national and regional experiences. So, of course, you know, some countries went through some upheavals during that 10-year period, others not. But in general, the planet has remained relatively happy for the last 10 years. There has been, on average, a long-term moderate uptrend, however, in stress, worry, and sadness, and in most countries. Now, interesting, you might say, well, if those are on the uptick, how how has the overall happiness stayed about the same? We'll get there in just a second. The 2021 data, so, so it's the 2022 report, but it's on last year's data, confirms that the average life expectations and health concerns due to COVID did have a negative influence. So again, a negative influence around the the health around the world. Couple that with the increase in stress, worry, and sadness. How are we coming out okay? The reason we're coming out okay is because benevolence and trust has greatly bloomed during the pandemic. So let me explain. One of the indexes that they have is the altruism of people. And during the pandemic, almost universally, people extended hands to one another. More money was raised for nonprofit purposes in 2021 than in any year in the last 20 years. So people were more generous, more benevolent. People were willing to help out each other. People were willing to check in with their neighbors and say, do you need help with your shopping? I I know that your immune system is compromised. Can I do something to help? Can I help you with groceries? Can I take you to the doctor? And also, now this doesn't happen to be true in the United States, unfortunately, and we'll get there in a minute too, but in most of the world, people also felt better about the countries that they lived in, in terms of their health systems and their social systems for providing help. And so uh, in most countries, that went way up as well, and people had that heartfelt belief that, yeah, 
the the country that I live in is here to support me. Whether I need food, whether I need medical attention, you know, it's available to me, it's easy to receive, all I have to do is ask. So now the question, of course, that you're all wondering in, how did the United States do? Well, we actually dropped a couple positions. We were the 14th happiest country in the world, and we skipped down a couple positions to 16th place. The Nordic uh, countries continue to be at the top of the list. Finland still has the number one spot, followed by Denmark, Iceland, uh, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Sweden, and Norway. And New Zealand and Australia typically come out ahead of us as well. And Canada and Germany actually rose up above us uh, this year as well. And if you're wondering why we didn't do so well, why we lost a couple points, is our uh, faith in our government suffered drastically during the last year and a half. So, so people felt very much less happy, less safe and secure here in America. And that's primarily where the downtick was. Now, you might be wondering, how do they know whether people are happy? How can they somehow aggregate, you know, a million people or so here and there in a country and decide that they're happy or not? Well, they use an interesting system of what they call key indexes. And uh, it might sound like these are things that you measure in terms of numbers, but when you actually look at the questions that they ask the average individuals that they aggregate this, they're all feeling questions. So I'll, I'll read the key factors, but then I want to give you some samples of some of the questions they're like. So the key factors that they use in determining happiness are having enough money to support basic needs, access to medical care and a healthy life expectancy, the absence of corruption or trusting government, trusting each other, having some vulnerability, social support, both for friends and family, but also social support in terms of the, the municipality that you live in, Social freedom, the ability to be yourself, to not have constrictions or limits on, on how you can show up in the world. And finally, generosity, that idea of volunteerism and giving, that, that number that rose dramatically during the pandemic when people were helping each other. Now, you might say, well, these are so externally focused, Larry, and I thought your whole premise this particular month was that happiness is an inside job. Yeah, but wait until you learn the kind of questions they asked. They didn't ask people how much money they made, right? For the first one, having enough money to support basic needs. They didn't ask, how much money do you make? They asked, do you feel that all of your financial needs can be met easily? It was really a feeling question. How do you feel about your financial situation? And the same with the life expectancy. They didn't say, well, what's the life expectancy in Norway? Is it 75? Is it 78? Is it 83? No, they asked, well, how do you feel about the medical care that's available to you easily? How do you feel about your ability to live a long and healthy life? So they were really all feeling questions. It really is measuring how we internally feel about our situation, not so much the numbers, not how much do you make, not how long are you going to live, but really what's your sense of it? Do you feel good about it? 
And so those are the uh, indices that they use for coming up with the World Happiness Report. And I thought it was interesting that it really does fit in with our thought of happiness as being an inside job, even though they're using some, some external sounding questions to get at it. It's really... How do you take it on? How do, how do you feel about what's going on in your own personal life? What, what do you think of these things? And anyway, that was their breakdown of how the, they went about measuring the world's happiness. All right, I think, though, we want to talk about personal happiness again, and I do want to come up with a summary for Happy No Reason, and I think we probably ought to start with a joke. So a Russian, a Frenchman, and an Englishman were discussing the meaning of true happiness. The Englishman said, well, real happiness for me is reading a good book on a rainy night with a hot cup of tea by my side. The Frenchman shook his head. No, no, mon ami. Real happiness is to leave work on the spur of the moment and make love on a deserted stretch of beach. That, that is happiness. The Russian said, no, 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 you are both wrong, terribly wrong. Real happiness is when the secret police come to your house in the middle of the night and they tell you, Ivan Ivanovich, you are arrested for conspiring against the state. And you tell them, so sorry, Ivan Ivanovich lives next door. <laughs> now that, that is real happiness. <laughs> and so what is happiness? We, we've taken a look at how the World Happiness Report figures it out on a global scale, but I want to suggest that happiness internally, that idea of happiness being an inside job, we have a lot of control over it. And I want to suggest that not only can we make it, but we can always have the opportunity of experiencing it. And I want to explain both aspects of that. First of all, can you make happiness? You know, in the science of mind, we have this thing called a mental equivalent, where we have a clear idea of what it is we want to experience. And, and whether you come up with a mental equivalent of a new house or a new partner or a new job or whatever it is, in our, in our mind, what we're doing is we're picturing how life we would like it to be. With some detail and some color, we, we want to make sure that our heart is behind it, that we can feel the emotions behind it. That is what Ernest Holmes, the founder of the science of mind, would say is a rich mental equivalent. We can have a mental equivalent for happiness. We can use that same principle, the law of attraction or whatever you want to call it, we can use that same principle of mental equivalence for bringing happiness into our life as well. And I would suggest we can even do it for other people. And I want to give, I think, a, a fun example. So a few years back, Daniel and I had the honor of taking our uh, nephews and niece to Disney World. Oh my gosh, you know, we had a good deal of fun. But I did notice that although it's the happiest place on earth, some people were not quite as happy as we were. And, and I, I will highlight one particular day. So one day uh, we went to the Wild Animal Kingdom and one of the, the rides that we all wanted to go on was this Mount Everest adventure where you know, you're deep in the Himalayan mountains anyway, and and you're like chased by a Yeti, and it's like a roller coaster. And, and anyway, the kids really wanted to do that, and it was pretty fun. 
But Lord, it was hot that day. I got to tell you, it was about 95 degrees and 95% humidity. And the line was long. And so we're in line. And people aren't doing that well. I, I mean, picture yourself if you perhaps, these were older kids, but there were people there with children in strollers and just, it was so hot. Long line. So we're almost there. We've been in the line for probably about 40 minutes. And suddenly, excuse me, I'm afraid the bride has to shut down now. And sure enough, even the power in the area that we were in, the electricity went off. And so the misters went out and the air conditioners went out. And so it's like, oh my gosh. So to begin with, here we were thwarted for our mission, right? Well, undeterred, we thought, well, this would be a good time for lunch then. You know, they'll have the ride working. The little announcer said, we're working on it. We hope to have it back in service quickly. So next door is a little, you know, one of their bizarrely expensive, but, but actually sort of good restaurants. And so we went in and we found a table and, and uh, uh, we were uh, ordered our food and the power went off in the restaurant. And the babies are starting to cry. Even the teenagers that we were with were starting to fuss. I suspect that even Larry and Daniel were starting to fuss. It was so hot. And then this most amazing thing happened. There was a tiny woman, and I swear, she couldn't have been more than five or five foot one. She got up on the table on the serving counter, and she was dressed in her Walt Disney World little outfits. They, they have costumes for everyone. And she stood there, and everybody started looking at her, and she began telling a story. She began telling us about her adventures in the old country, and how she had been born as a, a poor spaghetti farmer in uh, some part in Eastern Europe and how her family used to get ladders and harvested the spaghetti from the pasta trees. And she began telling us about the arduous journey on a, on a ship coming from her country to America and, and, and how even the spaghetti that they had saved up wasn't quite enough and, that, and, and all of the trials of being on board. And I got to tell you, despite the heat and despite the discomfort all eyes were riveted on her and then she even began doing this and I don't think I can do it justice this peculiar little dance she was singing this little song from the old country and like all eyes were on her and it the story got more bizarre and more bizarre she told us about living in the magic kingdom and and what a blessing it was to come to work every day and that she was in charge of the fat friars and 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 it was just the story got more and more elaborate but you could hear a pin drop in there and suddenly the power came back on and she did this who wants free ice cream? <laughs> and it was like the spell of, of disquiet was gone. And we all had a lovely, a lovely luncheon and the air conditioning was working and the ride was started back up. I don't know what the power problem was. And literally that woman created happiness for 500 people that day.
You have that power. You have that power. There was not anything special about her. In fact, I went up when it was time to go up and get our food. I went up and I said, you are amazing. Are you part of the, she said, we're all cast members here, but I am just in food service. I'm not an actress or anything. I said, you are amazing. God bless you for, for that. And she said, you all deserve to have a nice time when you're here. We all deserve to have a nice time. And you have the power to create that in yourself as well. So that's one of the ways that we can actually, I think, create happiness. Now, how did she do it? If you think about it, back to the science of mind principles for a minute, she had a mental equivalent for happiness. She said to herself, okay, I could sit here and be miserable with everybody else, or I can have Joe here help me up on the counter, right? It was amazing just to see her, you know, boosted up onto the counter. And I can tell a story because I have a mental equivalent that storytelling can bring joy to people. And she said that she hadn't even particularly planned what she was going to say. She just had that mental equivalent of getting up there and doing something that would be compelling and amusing for people. The other thing I want to talk about today, though, as we try to summarize and wind up this particular book, are you aware that 99.9% .9 of your lives, maybe more actually, I, I, I mean fractions aren't my uh, strong suit, but I bet nearly all of our lives go well. Now don't get me wrong, I know there's tragedy in every person's life. I know that there are things that happen to all of us that we don't want. But if you actually measured out the amount of time that bad things are happening to you, don't you figure it would be like less than a percent? Why do we pay attention to the negativity? Why does that seem to loom so large in our minds? I think it's because we're not living in the present moment. Truly, if 99% of our lives are going well, if we were living in those <laughs> moments, our life would be well, our, our, our mental aspect would be well. We'd be able to look around and just see the happiness that's there by, by want just of God's good grace. You know, the very first Sunday of this month, I shared with you one of the exercises that I do when I'm feeling less than happy. And it's just to pick out five things around me that are full of wonder. And you'll remember I used an example of being at Winco stuck in a line and not really liking it. And I picked out five things around me that still brought some amusement to me and brought some wonder to me. You have that ability always. There is always always, always something to be delighted about. Right now, just look around us. There are so many things to be delighted about. There is so much around us at any moment that is filled with wonder, full of life, full of joy. And it's all, all we have to do is really just look for it. Just cast our gaze and our thoughts around to look for it. Ernest Holmes had this to say about this idea of finding joy. He said, life responds to us in the way that we approach it. We should choose 
that which we wish to embody and by constant attention to it take on all of its characteristics. So let us choose to be identified with the present moment. Let us choose to be identified with power, with love, with beauty, with peace, with happiness always. We have that power. We can simply choose to find it. So whether you make your joy, right? Remember the funny, sweet, wonderful woman in Walt Disney World, whether we choose to make it or whether we choose to find it, I think it is within our power to have a more joyous year than what we have had in the last couple of years. The last couple of years, I think, have been difficult for us because it's almost like the fear level got raised up. I, I, I remember back when the Twin Towers fell uh, so many years ago now, right? And they talked about the threat levels at a red or the threat level as an orange. I think over the last two years, I felt kind of like that again as we would watch the, the numbers of infections or the numbers of death or, or what was going on in one country that they were trying to do to control the pandemic that was working or not working and, you know, discovering how transmissible the disease would be and whether or not it was getting stronger or weaker, or easier to catch, right? And that's, uh, in the World Happiness Report, that's that stress level they were talking about that everybody felt. I am here to suggest that we do not need to play that game. Now, I'm not here to say that we shouldn't be cautious, that we don't have to take care of ourselves and our families and those around us, but did that stress help in any way? That, that's my real question. We have undergone a year or two of kind of terrorism in a way, and, and of course we have learned to wash our hands, we have learned to wear masks when it's appropriate, we have learned to listen to what we need to do to stay safe, whether it's immunizations or whatever it might be. We have learned a lot and hopefully we've taken some good actions on that. But was the fear factor necessary or helpful to us? See, I'm not so sure that it was. I would like to think that we can do the right thing without being terrified. I would like to think that we can keep ourselves safe and keep up on what we need to do without that stress level having its negative effect. So I have a little homework for you this week. Can you develop a mental equivalent for happiness? Can you think of what your life would be like still being safe, still being appropriate, still doing the things you need to do for yourself and your loved ones, but a mental equivalent that while that's all going on, you're happy. That's my assignment for you this week. I think we don't have to be in reaction anymore. I think we can actually take some control of our own emotions in this case to be safe, to be careful, and at the same time, to find the joy that's all around us, to begin living our lives in, in a forward and progressive and loving way, even though some of those factors that still we need to take into account are still there. So again, homework, can you develop a mental equivalent for happiness? And then just turn it over to spirit. Just turn it over to God. Here is how I wish to be spirit. You take care of the details.
Well, I'm going to close for a final quote from this book and a prayer. She says, Look always for opportunities to be open to the blessings which are already around you. You don't need to define too clearly what they should be. Just trust that they will be there for you. For those of us locked up in the I'm in charge feeling and I have to take control approach to life, Surrendering starts by simply inviting ourselves to believe that our higher power will respond to our needs. That's that mental equivalent. That the higher power will respond to our needs and be open to the flow of grace when it comes our way. This gentle invitation is a great tool for letting go and trusting that life will unfold gracefully. People living in that perpetual state of trust often report increased experiences of synchronicity in their lives, amazing coincidences, uncanny luck, unexpected aid, and perfect timing, simply being in the right place at the right time through their faith and their trust. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness, only this one thing. And what I know about this one thing is it is here as part of life to be enjoyed. That there is in the everyday aspects of living great joy, great interest. And so as we cast about our world, as we notice what's going on, we're simply aware of the little things that make all the difference, the, the love of friendships, the, the beauty in the outdoors, the sense of belonging to our fellow human beings, that, that belief that there is good for us and we shall have it. This is the nature of life. This is God's grace. And if we open our hearts and as we open our eyes, truly, it is here for us. Life and joy and happiness are here for us. I'm grateful for this certainty. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being here. Now is our time of uh, gracious giving. If you'd like to take out your gift or your tithe, whatever it is you've brought to share with us today. Those of you online can go to cslportland.org slash donate to make their contribution there. If you'd like, you can place your gift over your heart and just repeat after me, graciously I give from a place of love, knowing that as I give, so do I richly receive. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. 
Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.